uh, don't like to admit this, but have watched some Downton Abbey. Okay, so in that show... Uh, right there with you, from this point on, we're just going to call it Monster Trucks. <laughs> <laughs> We've been watching... We've been watching some monster trucks, and one of the one of the truckosauruses gets into some hot water. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time, and put entirely at your disposal. But dude, super eye-opening analysis of Spider-Man. Oh yeah, that Which, was good. Yeah, of oh, yeah. course the writers totally just wiped it out. Mm -hmm. But again, that notion of in order to truly love and have that celibate love, which you said that the whole story of Spider-Man and a lot of superheroes is in order to be the hero, the saint that God created me to be, I have to say no to this romantic love that my heart does desire, uh, but I know that I'm called to more than that mm -hmm. because God is calling me more than that, more calling me to more than that. Mm -hmm. But of course, in Spider-Man, they <laughs> it happens <laughs> so in every right through that dude. Every superhero movie Batman. is a is a Christ narrative. I swear. Oh yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. yeah, yeah. And, and Batman was exactly that. The yeah. latest Batman movie, and then they. The same with Batman. Well. But we can't <laughs> handle it, man. Yeah, yeah. Because it's too dark. Yeah. The Christ narrative is too dark. The darkness of the cross is too much. Yep. But it's See, only I don't think it's in darkness, though. I think no, it is. Fear. I think it's fear. I think it's fear of. I'm saying it's dark. What in Batman they say this? It's darkest before the dawn, right? Right. It, that's the that's the crucifixion. It's darkest before the resurrection. Like, where Christ is up on the cross, the Son of God, God Himself, saying, "My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me?" It's too dark to. Dostoevsky saw a painting of the crucifixion in like some art museum in Russia, and there's this story about him that he just sat there, and with his wife, and it, he sat there for hours. His wife got up and went and looked at all the other paintings, but he just sat there completely depressed like even god himself was subject to death yeah. like death even came for the lord of the universe you know when someone really enters into that mystery then you're then you're like disposed for the resurrection then you're disposed for the glory that follows it but that i mean all of us struggle to enter into that mystery all the time i think 100 percent. perfect love casts out all fear but who's got perfect love there's always some fear in you. Yeah. But there's a lot of fear in our culture. Fear of the consequences of freedom, really. Like, that's why we have all these insurance companies. That's why insurance is such a huge deal with us. Because, like, what might happen in the future because of someone's decision, uh, it's too much to even imagine, you know? So, Batman has to go basically give up his life to save the whole city. And uh, he does it. And everybody's like, wow. That's heroic. But damn, I wish Batman were still around. And so what does Hollywood do? He's still around. Right? He fixed the autopilot. Yeah. Like, that's the docetic Christ. Yeah. That's the Christ that just seemed to have died. Right, that's right. You know? Yeah. And same thing with Spider-Man. Like, the, that whole story with Mary Jane and, like, the, the most recent one I only watched the end with the other girl. It's like, can Spider-Man both have romantic love 
and the kind of perfect love that makes his whole life about saving people. Yeah. And the answer to the question is no. Like his uncle says, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and he knows, he struggles with it all the time. Like, yeah. if I if I have this person, I have to give them undivided love. Yeah. But I can't because the love I'm called to because of the power I've been given uh, is indifferent. It's for everyone. Like, it's for anyone yeah. suffering anyone in danger i'm to shoot webs out of my wrist and fly <laughs> to them to save them from danger yeah you know yeah. nobody else can do that except me and so i can't have just the same thing everybody else has i can't have my mary jane or my whoever but every single movie is the same thing we can't handle can't it. Get over it so what does he do like well, the ending of that movie sucked man what did he say like he it's should, just like some little, some little quick line that. No, that he says. Uh, he says to the teacher, "Like I won't be late again." And she's like, "Don't make promises you can't keep." And then he whispers to his girly, "Like those are the best kind." Oh the yeah. Best ones. yeah. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh nice, he's gonna oh. break his promise to my dad, who yeah. said don't." Who gave yeah. his life in like the fight for the city? You <laughs> held yeah. him in your arms as he died. <laughs> you promised on his death. Then. Yeah, but Mike, think about it, like. He could totally have sex with her, and that would be awesome. So. I didn't think about that. <laughs> oh, is it now that you mentioned it? Like, that's what we're all thinking. Like, oh, man, wouldn't he it be awesome if he, when he's with her. If, yes. if he saved yes. the city and he got the girl? Dude. The whole story is you can't have your cake and eat it, too. And he has his cake, and he eats it, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm interested <laughs> to see what would they do with the sequel to that movie. Because there's a, the, a preview for it um, the other day I saw, and the bad guy in it, says he's talking to spider-man and i don't know like what context it was in as far as how the movie will set it up but he says he's like you know you're wrong if you thought you could um you could be the hero and not have to pay the price Mm -hmm. for it and so i'm really anxious to see what they do with the movie because yeah the ending the first one was horrible in that respect and certainly certainly the batman trilogy bailed out mm-hmm. you know, like hard the last second. it stinks because they're such cool movies mm-hmm. and I mean in so many ways like you look at at the different superhero stories it talks about love in a very real way where I'm going to give myself completely and especially in a pastoral setting I'm going to give myself completely to my people mm-hmm. and I at least in the in the Spider-Man one you have that very real representation of it's going to hurt a lot and loving them and doing what's good for them is going to oftentimes break me down, either physically, emotionally, yeah. mentally, whatever. There's going to be a lot of suffering involved, which is really generally that's what comes with true love. Um, but in also in light of Father Baron's homily this weekend, I think in the Batman ones they did especially well when they talk about Father Baron was talking about love your enemies, and even when there are those that do injustice to you, it is your duty as a Christian. It's all you have in your bag to do justice and continue to love them. Mm-hmm. So in Batman, remember, he's initially depicted as this bad guy. Yeah. And him doing all this good, he looks like this evil villain, this evil character. Right. But yet it's our job to strive through as Christians, and especially pastors, to give ourselves to our people, mm-hmm. to continue to do the good, even when they do injustice to you. Yeah. And I think it's a very real fatherly love in the, in the sense of all these male characters. of I'm going to love you, and I'm going to do what's best for you, even when you don't want it. Not mm-hmm. to force yourself upon them. But, well, that's uh, the end of the second one, which mm-hmm. that was the strongest movie, I think, because mm-hmm. at the end of one, at, at, that's the real Christ mm-hmm. story. It's like, he becomes the scapegoat 
in order to make real peace, you know? So, what, he had to kill Two-Face or whatever? Right. He had to kill uh, Harvey uh, Dent, uh, yeah. who was... But then he makes... He willingly makes himself the bad guy in order to, uh, like, preserve yeah. whatever. So, that's, that's the whole Jesus story, right? He becomes the scapegoat to unmask. Yeah. He's the only purely unblemished lamb, the lamb of God, who has no fault in him, but we kill him as a criminal. Yeah. To unmask the fact that, dude, our peace, the peace that we can make, which really means lack of war, lack of violence, mm-hmm. is just this cheap ersatz peace that always relies on blaming somebody for all our problems. Yeah. And here we blamed the God who created us, the God who gave us the gift of life in the first place. We took his life. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And, and you, every time you look at the cross, it's the serpent in the desert with Moses. You hold it up, everybody looks at it and heals you of that disease. Of scapegoating, yeah, um, and that movie ended well, I thought, because it kind of it fleshed out that mystery a little bit for us. But then it goes into the, the whole Bane thing. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, well, the third. I thought the third movie could have ended well. Yeah, but he uh, fixed so the so autopilot, so right? You know, like if they really wanted to carry that Christ, they set it up and everything. Like the <laughs> autopilot doesn't work. Uh, newsflash, yeah. Bruce Wayne's a total gene, and he completely fixed the autopilot and only left a trace so that Morgan Freeman could know that it was him, yep. and then, you know, freaking Alfred could go see him in Brazil or something with right. a, some it. hot chick. That's how it ends! Yeah, he's it's like, and he like, it's with the he's with some it. hot broad, and he's like cheersing with champagne, like, yep. mm, Alfred. Oh, not a superhero anymore, like, so glad yeah. we can just leisurely live our life. <laughs> exactly! Uh, yeah, being a superhero kind of stunk. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna totally live the normal life now, because that's better. I'm glad that burden of the Batmobile is behind me. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> what I would pay for that. <laughs> Why is there something rather than nothing? I had a friend. This is uh, one of my brother's friends from high school. He actually uh, went and saw the new Batman, or the, the third Batman, for Bane, seven times in theater. Oh, my God. Because he thought Bane was such a cool villain. What? Which I would, I think Bane, I think Bane is totally awesome. But I so dislike the end of it. And I know that they stay in line with the comic books and that was really what they were striving for. Okay. Like, you think the entire time Bane is sort of like, not only the bronze, but the brains behind the operation. Right. And like, just totally running everything. And then you have the chick at the end of the movie, it turns out, is the actual villain behind the whole thing. You're like, is Bane a puppet? Are you serious? This guy who snapped Batman's back with his arms <laughs> is a puppet. Yeah. I feel like he's not even the real villain. He's just some... That uh, twist kind of stunk. I was not a fan of that. Yeah. was not a fan of that. But my, I my friend liked it. Saw it seven times. Literally. <laughs> that's a full day. I saw that movie on the day, this day after I got done with my 30-day silent retreat. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, dude. I knew that movie was coming out that summer. And... Like I was, I was pretty faithful to you know, even when I went to go work out and stuff like that, just not looking at the TV. The that Denver shooting at the movie theater, it was when Batman came oh, out, right? right? Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was on like all the news tickers and stuff, yeah. and I could see people were talking about it at the gym, and I'm like, I can't. I'm on the third day of retreat. That this is like a once in a lifetime thing. I'm not going to just like let the world and its violence in. Right. Thirty days of silence. That's nuts. Four hours of prayer a day. One hour of spiritual direction. So, uh, uh, like, 
I work out a lot because <laughs> you're just like, how else am I going to sleep? All you do is sit and pray. Like you don't use any energy. You just right, receive yeah. love all day. And all that. Yeah. Um, never boring, by the way. 30 days of silence. Not one minute was I bored. Cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, so anyways, um, I saw that movie after the 30 day. And my 30th day was like the most intense grace of the whole retreat, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was after all these temptations to just mail it in, you know, like, oh, you've been silent for 29 days. Dude, God won't blame you for just kind of taking it easy. Classic yeah. Satan, dude. Yeah. Classic Satan if I've ever heard it. Yeah. God won't blame you. Yeah. yeah. That's so, but anyways, I woke up and watched the sunrise on my last day, meditated on the prodigal son, just had this baller experience of, of God's love and and stuff and how, like, my happiness doesn't depend on how good I am, mm-hmm. you know, and... Just beautiful stuff, you know. And I wrote myself a letter for, like, my spiritual director to, to send me later, like a year later or something, you know, just how I felt at that moment. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go watch that Batman movie because I was I was pretty amped about it, you know. The second one was so good. Yeah. Went to the Cynodyne where they give you, like, food and beer at the movie theater and stuff. Oh, and I'm loving it. And the movie was just such a disappointment. I don't know what it was, like. Just it paled in comparison to what I'd just been through yeah. in thirty days. Uh, no, no desire to see it again. You know, the second one, I was like your friend, like, oh, I'd watch that movie every year for the rest yeah. of my life. That's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. But the third one, I'm, part of it was it was ruined by the context for me after a retreat like that. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely. See no that. movie could ever live up. I could definitely see that. Yeah. I I will say, we talked about it today, man. Superheroes are so cool. Yeah. What if you could, I mean, like the stuff that Spider-Man can do swinging around or, I don't what know. Spider, what uh, what uh, guy would you be? What superhero would I be? Yeah. See, I don't think I would be any. You'd be your own superhero? I would be my own superhero. <laughs> Pick one that we know. Tag Nabbit. Okay. Or, what, or if you have a power, if you have some original power that you'd like to have. Yeah, right, right, right. Celibacy? I am the celibate. <laughs> I'd be celibate. Dude, It'd be like RoboCop, only celibate. In that case, in that case, I would. I am a superhero. All right, I'm living out that superpower. I kind of well, power of grace. That's very good. Um, honestly, I don't know. I mean, do you have a superhero in mind? I was like, I thought I'd like to be Spider-Man. I don't know why exactly, but the other ones like Superman, flying, X-ray vision. Yeah. Stuff like that. How do you Blow- say flying with it, like, oh, flying. Blowing, blowing cold air. I don't know. It just seemed like so co- cookie cutter to me. Spider Man was this original. Of course, Batman doesn't even have superpowers. He's just right, rich. That's your thing. Yeah. Um, what are the other ones? I don't know. Aquaman. Well, I, think, I didn't grow up with any of these. I think Captain America is pretty cool. I think He's just America invincible, cool. like, superhuman. Honestly, I don't know, so, like, exactly. The story of Captain America is he is this incredibly virtuous guy but he's he's really like really small and just a like a wimp yeah. I mean, he's not a wimp he's super courageous right but he just like can't physically do a lot of things so he gets, yeah. he gets picked on and mm-hmm. um but he's completely selfless so like actually in the newest movie how they like decide he's the guy is that a guy takes a fake grenade and throws it into a bunch of soldiers and he's the only one that jumps on it hmm and so, anyway, so then they put, like, this, you know, some type of new science, like, in his body, some mm-hmm. type of uh, 
Typical science. Yes, just classic science. Uh, We're injecting him with 40 cc's of science. Yeah. (laughs) Should do the trick. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to shoot this in your arm. Yeah. And uh, so then he gets, like, super jacked and taller Mm -hmm. and, you know. um, Looks a lot like myself. Yeah, uh, actually, it's more like a Mets bot than anything else. Yeah. Um, A Mets bot. Yeah, there's a doubt. Um... And then, but so he keeps these characteristics of being incredibly virtuous, incredibly mm-hmm. self-sacrificing. But now well, those are his natural qualities, huh? I mean, obviously right. cultivated through a life of virtue. But right. interesting. So his power is really it's just like, an enhancement of his personality. Well, it's like an enhancement of he's like a superhuman. He has superhuman strength. So that's physically a, speaking, but physically like speaking. his spiritual, like uh, you know. His human virtues are ridiculous. Yeah, but that's not his. That's not his superpower. That's an interesting it statement. Is. Yeah, this goes back to a conversation. Remember, we had this about uh, about body and like emotion, psychological stuff. Oh yeah. How I was reading this book, and he was talking about education of children. Oh yeah, this is this is super good. Um. It's an abbot, an arch abbot from Germany or something like that. He wrote this book on leadership and we're reading it for one of our classes. But um, he's talking about how basically parenting and education and child rearing in general is fundamentally about training people to use their freedom well. Yeah. Um, so, like, the two temptations in parenting is one is the extreme of currying favor with your kid, like never saying no, right? Um, never imposing your own values. You know, you, you see this with the, I'm not going to baptize my kid. I'm going to let them choose their fit. You know, sure. as if that's something like that's in the realm of just, uh, choice purely mm-hmm. and doesn't need to be formed in a kid. And then the other extreme is you choose everything for them, mm. um, because you're afraid they're going to make the wrong choice and hurt their future or whatever. You know, you don't let them ride their two-wheeler to the park because right. that they get hit by a car or, right. like, abducted or something. You know, there's, it, they're both fear-based mm-hmm. because you, you fear um, imposing your will on another mm-hmm. for fear of, like, making the wrong choice or something, or you fear them being able to make any choice of their own. Mm-hmm. So his whole point was, like, basically, it's based in this anthropology this theory of like what the human person is that's fundamentally flawed and that it changed pretty recently, basically like since the 1960s that prior to then what was taken for granted, this, especially in the the medievals, like the philosophers and stuff that what was taken as given was your physical state, your body, your appearance, your height, uh, whether you were deformed or not deformed, that was just a given. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was to be accepted, whether you were fat or skinny or whatever. What was not given was your psychological, emotional freedom, basically, like what your how you responded to stimulus in your environment, whether things made you angry. Like you could train yourself to not be an angry person yeah. by becoming more patient, practicing patience. Or you could train yourself to not be as lustful or gluttonous by saying no to those desires enough times that you've been trained now you've trained yourself to be free in those areas okay so he's saying the anthropology of now the contemporary postmodern theory of the human person says the exact opposite 
what's given is your psychologically emotional movements basically what i want is who i am okay and that's not to be trained or molded in any way if i'm attracted to people of the same sex that's who i am if i you know enjoy this or that activity that's fundamentally who i am and i'm not about to change that you know if i need this or that but your body, on the other hand, is something completely malleable, yeah. you know, plastic surgery, anorexia, bulimia, uh, makeup, you know, all of that stuff can be molded and should be, you know, yeah. even though it's, it's kind of your nature. That's the, that's the unformable nature that you're given, you know, how much money is spent on ab machines in this country, you know, because six pack abs are what everybody deserves or, or whatever. Um, and it all comes from this, this weird, like deflection of our energy because we feel like we're not, we're not right. Right. There's mm -hmm. something wrong with us and we need to be fixed. Um, and what's really wrong with us is that we don't want the right things, right? But we stop training ourselves to want something different than what we just kind of come out of the womb wanting because mm -hmm. a baby is selfish. All it's thinking about is eating, pooping, doing what needs to be sleeping. Mm -hmm. And raising a child is about teaching it to look outward, you know, mm -hmm. like love is the answer to those deep desires. Mm -hmm. But if a kid never matures, never becomes a generous person right. or a grateful person, then they'll just be a selfish, ungrateful, whatever. Spoiled brat. Yeah, for their whole life. And, you you know, see that played out through this perpetual adolescence. Meanwhile, they're like making New Year's resolutions, buying gym memberships and personal trainers and stuff because... They know something's wrong with them. Right. And this is the kind of asceticism they can deal with, you know, if you get a sick bod from it. And, and, it, and it goes from uh, the things that the things that we can actually work on and actually train with willpower and grace and virtue. Uh, let's just medicate it. Yeah. I'm an angry person, so I'm going to take medicine for it. Yeah, oh, I'm depressed. Yeah, I'm depressed. Yeah, I'm sad. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take medicine for it. Which, obviously, there are times where that, that stuff is necessary, and it's right. absolutely good. Um, but it's no longer, this is something that I work towards with an effort, striving for what it would be the greatest good. Um, but that's something that I'm not going to work at. I'm just going to take something that will do it for me. Yeah. But I'm, I will work to change uh, myself in this other, what was previously known as the, the unchangeable nature that we're mm -hmm. given. I think it's very interesting. I mean, it, I, I mean, it shows a lack of, of willpower, um, but also um, a super ignorance in a lot of ways in that we don't we don't hold the ideals. Our ideals have been flip-flopped in a sense because everybody's worth is dependent upon how they look because the value that you have within is absolutely malleable. Mm -hmm. So why would I work yeah. for that good? It has no bearing. It has no bearing. Me as a practical human being, as a pragmatic tool to make money and provide and get friends and things like that, how am I going to be able to do that if I don't look awesome mm -hmm. or if I don't look approving to those around me? Mm -hmm. uh, when in reality, what you actually should be striving for is the good within, mm -hmm. and that's where you find your value. And yet now we have our value defined with how you look mm -hmm. and you know how fit you are. And really, I mean, the utilitarian view of a human is, uh, what can you give me? Mm -hmm. How can I use you? Which is, you know, the opposite of what real love is. But you go back to 
the development of the child at an early age with the parents. Um, that we actually spoke about that in Father de Gaulle's class. Mm -hmm. How that's a Freudian move, and it developed at the time after World War One, when fathers and sort of the nation representative of the father, sort of the the paterfamilias, the head of the household, and everything, uh, said that this is the best way. If you listen to us, then you listen to this authority figure, then everything's going to be okay. And Freud is saying, wait, as a parent, you have to be very careful with what you tell your children, because if you make them angry, they're going to have resentment, a wound towards you your entire life. And mm -hmm. that's Freud's whole thing, to kill the superego, the superego yeah. being your father. Right. And so the development of that as World War I ends, and death and destruction and everything goes on, history correlates completely exactly to the T of what Freud is, is preaching. Mm -hmm. So then you, don't, you have parents who are afraid to love, which yeah. is to give the good thing to their children, mm -hmm. and those that are saying, you know what, I don't want my kid to hate me. Yeah. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And you know what the child. surefire way to get a kid to hate you is? Totally like detach and don't train them in, in choosing the good and rejecting the evil. Or stifling them with your supposed love and keeping them from ever learning from their mistakes. Those are two surefire ways to get them to not respect your authority and respect you and love you yeah. when they grow into adulthood. Yeah. And you can, um, you can see it in tons of, I mean, popular films. It's, hey, dad's trying to buy my love with things that oh, yeah. I think are going to be really cool. But in reality, I just want your real love. Yeah. I want you to be here with me. You know, so I mean, you can see it. You can see the desire for it within our culture, but you know, we miss short. Tis tis being human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Twas the best movie. <laughs> Twas the best scene in the movie. And was my favorite part. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.